Hey, Disney fans, looking for the latest Disney news? And interviews with some of Disney's biggest stars? Well, have we got the podcast for you. Welcome to D23 Inside Disney. I'm Jeffrey from D23. I'm Sherry from Oh My Disney. And I'm Zynga from ABC's On the Red Carpet. And together, we're taking you inside Disney. Hello, hello. Hello. How is everyone doing? Oh, great. I mean, <laughs> I am elated because I am at the happiest place on earth. I'm actually in Walt Disney World. Oh my gosh, oh. jealous. <laughs> I know that Jeffrey and I were also just there for work, but I'm still jealous. Agree, <laughs> agree. Yes, yes. I know you just got there, but have you done anything yet? Where are you? Tell us more. Oh my goodness. I'm at the Yacht Club. Fabulous. So beautiful. You know, the weather is amazing. Thank goodness. You know, my favorite part of coming to Walt Disney World or any park is like when people say welcome home. Aww. It really is the best feeling because you do feel a sense of home right? Mm-hmm. So it's nice to be so home. True. <laughs> mm. And Sherry? Well, speaking of home, I've been at home and I watched Hocus Pocus 2 on Disney+. Yes! Plus. Did you watch? What did you think? Yes. I loved it. 100%. It was movie night. My daughter and I watched it, loved it. Hello, Tony Hale. Yep. Yes, Tony Hale so was funny. brilliant. Friend of the pod. <laughs> friend of the pod, Tony Hale. Oh my gosh, it was so yes. good. It was so it's funny. So These women are timeless. Yes, honestly. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they haven't changed. The magic yes. of being a witch. That's there right. The girl who played young Winifred was brilliant. I looked yes. her up to see who she was. She's from my hometown, Amarillo, Texas. Oh. No. Yes. Shout oh. out to my hometown. <laughs> I love that. Well, clearly they spring great talent from that hometown. Of oh, exactly. Thanks, exactly. Zynga. <laughs> well, in addition to casting a spell on us, it cast a spell on many viewers because our friends over at Disney Plus revealed that Hocus Pocus 2 debuted as the number one film premiere for Disney Plus domestically to date. So, wow. That is amazing. And that's based on the hours streamed in the first three days of its release. So congratulations to all of our friends over at Disney+. Plus. Well-deserved. It was great. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, and speaking of Disney+, Plus, I was also able to screen early Werewolf by Night. <gasps> so good. So good. We've talked about this. Michael Giacchino, really well-known for being an Academy Award-winning, Grammy-winning composer who is wildly talented. I mean, who knew he had such mad directing skills? Amazing. Mm-hmm. And it would only just be marvelous if we could chat with him. But we'll see, I guess. We'll, we'll see. see. That would be a great get. We will see. I actually started watching a new show. It's an international show on Disney Plus from our friends in Latin America called Tierra Incognita, which is about this sort of haunted carnival. Mm. You know me who does not like watching scary things. So what do I do? I like immediately <laughs> I'm like by night. Tables turning here. Yes, it is meant for children, but I am terrified. <laughs> We totally forgot to mention Zingo right out your window. If you look hard, you can see Epcot and 
Epcot is the subject of our fabulous guests today. We have Woo. Disney legend and former Imagineer Tony Baxter and the fabulous Imagineer Jody McLaughlin, who both of whom you may have seen on our fabulous D23 Inside Disney Celebrates Epcot 40 special available on D23's YouTube channel. Please watch it right now. <laughs> it was great. It was, you know, because obviously we spoke with both of them briefly. So getting more time with them was just so like the stories, the perspective, I love both of their takes on things so much. Yeah, me too. Mm. But first we get some news. So Sherry, Ooh. why don't you kick us off? We sure do. Get ready to get some truly out of this world sleep because Pixar has released yes. a Socks white noise machine on YouTube. What? Yes, Socks from Lightyear. That is correct. So it starts with that really brief moment between Buzz and Socks in the movie where Socks runs through different sleep sound options for Buzz like summer night, whale calls. He then begins the white noise for seven and a half hours the video oh. is seven and a half hours <laughs> oh long gosh. did you watch it all <laughs> he fell asleep <laughs> i could say it's work research and just sit there watching it <laughs> but it's amazing soothing images from the movie play in the background for again seven and a half hours so wow. highly recommend if you need a white noise machine socks is here for you i do like white noise machines <laughs> well, it will help with your slumber, although I have a feeling this next movie will not because the slumber party <laughs> has just started production. It is a Disney original movie based on the teen novel, The Sleepover by Jen Malone. It follows the aftermath of a sleepover birthday party hypnotism gone very wrong. So I have a feeling I will not be sleeping through that one. It seems like I, I, I think my niece Dylan and I may need to make a movie night out of that one. So looking forward to seeing that when it debuts. Great premise. And National Geographic is back at it again with their Genius franchise. Yes. Oh my gosh, I love it. It's this time it's Genius MLK slash X. As we previously mentioned, this is the first time that the Genius franchise has a season that will focus on two iconic geniuses. Remember the last time it was Genius Aretha, which was fabulous. And this time mm -hmm. we have Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X. And we're exploring their formative years, pioneering accomplishments, and their dueling philosophies. I think this is so brilliant. I've always wanted to see this type of production. Mm. And, you know, I think like while they only met once and often challenged each other's views, neither would have been successful without each other. And drumroll, please, guess what? The cast has been announced. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So Disney Plus and National Geographic announced the following cast of the 20th Century co-production. We've got Kelvin Harrison Jr. as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Aaron Pierre as Malcolm X. We've got Raymond J. Opia as Coretta Scott King. And we have Jamie Lawson as Betty Shabazz. And principal photography will begin in Atlanta. Woo! Well, in Walt Disney World happenings, Disney After Hours events, they are coming back in January 2023. Woohoo! Scheduled to kick off January 4th at Disney's Hollywood Studios through April 19th. And at Magic Kingdom Park, the events run January 9th through March 27th during the last months. I can't believe it's the last months of the world's most oh. magical celebration honoring the Walt Disney World 50th anniversary. These are late night separately ticketed events. They start as early as seven. So you can enjoy the theme park for three additional hours after regular park hours 
with treats included like ice cream, popcorn, different beverages, and the best treat of all, lower wait times for some attractions. Yay! (laughs) Yes! (laughs) The event tickets go on sale starting this Friday, October 7th. Nice. Oh my goodness. Well, and on to some Marvel Universe news. Oh, did y'all see it? Marvel Studios. Oh yeah. Y'all see it? Hello. Mm -hmm. Marvel Studios released a new trailer for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. And all I can say is I got chills. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was so fantastic. They shared this new trailer. Everyone can go see it on Marvel's YouTube page. And they also released a new poster featuring our favorite character, Shuri. Yes. Yes, Mamanda Mbaku, Okoye, and the Dormilaji, of course. Of course, we're going to see returning stars. Of course, Angela Bassett, Leticia Wright, Winston Duke, Danai Guerrero, Lupita Nyong'o, Martin Freeman. And of course, everyone's talking about Tenoch Huerta. I'm very excited about this film. It's directed by Ryan Coogler. He's coming back, yes. Produced by Kevin Feige and Nate Moore. Opens up November 11th. I think everybody knows this. Tickets are on sale now. They're available right now. So I know everyone's getting them, finally. <laughs> but there's more, more in the Marvel universe. Marvel's Armor Wars project will now be a theatrically released movie, Yay. right? Everyone thought this was going to be a Disney Plus series, but no, Don Cheadle is still suiting up, but now he's going to do it on the big screen. He's coming back to reprise his longtime role as James Rhodey Rhodes, AKA War Machine. And they were recently at D23 Expo this year where they asked a question. What happens if Tony Stark's tech falls into the wrong hands? I have a feeling we're going to find out. (laughs) (laughs) Something else recently announced, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes has been announced for 20th Century Studios. Obviously, many of us uh, have enjoyed the Planet of the Apes franchise over the years. And the film is going to star Owen Teague, Freya Allen, and Peter Macon. It's going to start production next month with director West Ball. Can't see where they're going to take this franchise. I have a feeling it is going to be very, very cool. I may go ape for it. See what I did there? Oh, wow. <laughs> done. Couldn't help it. Could not help it. Well, for fans of Schitt's Creek, big news. The Rose family has moved to Hulu. Yes, all six seasons of the Emmy Award winning comedy are now on Hulu. So stream them now. The announcement was made through this hilarious fictional joint press release from Hulu and Alexis Rose Communications. And I quote, (laughs) after weeks and weeks of like heavy business negotiations with Hulu, I could absolutely not say no as a businesswoman. The world deserves the best. And I love that journey for them. (laughs) So good. I love it. If you've not seen this show, you're doing yourself a disservice. Go to Hulu now. Catherine O'Hara, Eugene Levy, so many hilarious people in this amazing, amazing, amazing show. Ah, so true. You know what else is amazing? What? It's time for Five Fantastic Things to Watch This Weekend, presented by State Farm. For complete details and listings, visit d23.com. And remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Sherry, what's up first? Up first is a new episode of Raven's Home on Friday at 9 p.m. on Disney Channel. Booker has a vision that Ivy is hindering her mom's campaign. And Raven gets to design a wedding gown for a prominent client and goes to extremes to make it happen, as she would. <laughs> mm. 
Nice, nice. Well, also on Friday, new to the Disney Plus library is Drumline. Great, great movie. Uh, a fish out of water story about a talented drummer from Harlem who enrolls in a uh, Southern University and things don't go exactly as he had planned. Oof, it's such a good movie. I love it. And my favorite villain, <laughs> Maleficent. Oh, I thought you were going to say me. So that that's comforting. Thank you. <laughs> Maleficent, a mistress of evil, is part of 31 Nights of Halloween. It's going to be out Saturday, October 8th at 11.25 p.m. Eastern on Freeform. Really excited. She's fabulous. And I might be her again for Halloween this year. Ooh, Ooh exciting. Can't wait to see pics. <laughs> also this weekend, Celebrity Jeopardy, new episode on Sunday at 8 p.m. on ABC. It's the last quarter final round. So we've got Constance Wu, Ike Barinholtz, and Jalen Rose putting their knowledge to the test. Ooh, great celebs. Mm-hmm. And we've got a new episode of The Rookie, Sunday, October 9th at 10 p.m. Eastern. And I just love Officer Jonathan Nolan. He has his first rookie. Officer Selena Juarez He's going to be joining. Ooh. Yeah, exactly. So make sure you tune in Sunday, October 9th at 10 p.m. On to our guests. Today, we are fortunate enough to have two remarkable talents with us. One is a Disney legend and former Imagineer whose incredible talents contributed to the success of many of our most beloved attractions, as well as a certain purple dragon we all adore. The other is a current Imagineer working on the reimagining of Epcot, helping create new and immersive experiences for us all to enjoy. We could not think of two better people to help us celebrate the 40th anniversary of Epcot. Please welcome to the show. Tony Baxter and Jody McLaughlin. Hooray! Welcome, welcome. So wonderful to have you on, Tony and Jody. So, of course, the first question is, as Jeffrey stated, Epcot just celebrated the 40th anniversary. So what does that milestone mean to each of you? Well, to me, it means I'm old. (laughs) (laughs) Pshaw, pshaw, I say. It seems like yesterday, the most exciting thing about it is back when Walt just passed away, they'd opened the Carousel of Progress at Disneyland with a component called Progress City, which you can still see a little bit of on the people mover here at Walt Disney World. But it was a massive plan for reinventing city life from the ground up. And as everything Walt did, you've got to aim higher than what you can possibly achieve in order to end up with something that is quite respectable. But, you know, if you go back into that and start analyzing it, I mean, every block in the neighborhoods had a people mover that delivered you to your work in the morning and then sat running from that time till closing without anybody on it, essentially. Well, if you know anything about the expense of operating attractions where we're gearing them up to handle 2,000 people an hour, 4,000 people an hour, You could not put a system like that in where maybe 100 people went to work in the morning and it sat, you know, without any running until they came home at night. That wouldn't work. So there were a lot of things that were put out on the table, you know, a projection of like, where are we going to go? And a key part of that was Walt knew that he didn't have the answer. So let's get American industry behind that. And I think a lot of that opening day Epcot was a partnership between companies that had areas of the future that they wanted to be in and Disney who wanted to tell stories that inspired the people coming to the park. I always thought of it as in Epcot, the real world is made magical. 
because in the magic kingdom, the magical world is made real. So it's kind of a flip, which I think we were able to do. And we couldn't have done it alone. It couldn't have been built alone. Walt even said that in that first film that he did, that we can only do it with the participation of others. So the immensity of it, the countries that came in and the corporations within those countries, as well as future world with all the major US entities, was what you really needed. I mean, this was a United Nations project when it began, and that's how it got here. It wouldn't have been able to get here without the foresight. And I think that's what Walt brought to his initial concept that was translatable into what you see today. Wow. And Jody, your thoughts? Well, I think that, you know, leaning into that original vision of Epcot, which is about you know, very future forward. Um, it's about innovation, it's about creativity, it's about imagination, it's about this sort of collective community. Leaning into that legacy is really what inspired us to think about the Epcot today and tomorrow. And, you know, when we think about how to tell these different stories through this lens of creativity, this lens of innovation, I think that gave us a lot of license to think a little bit differently about Epcot and lean into the legacy of it. We appreciate the nostalgia and everything that everyone loves about the original Epcot, but also wanting to keep the legacy in a sort of forward momentum. So what is the world today and, and how do we tell stories that resonate with the people today and tomorrow? So always keeping it this collective community, the story about really being better together. Uh, and again, I think part of the original vision of Walt's Epcot was that, that we can create a better world going forward through industry and technology and this this collective thought of moving through the world together and making it better. Absolutely. Now, Tony, you were involved in a lot of the original ideation around Epcot. What do you remember about those days? <laughs> it was probably the most exciting time of my career because as fun as it is to do Magic Kingdom projects, the whole idea of setting an example for the world to come and see ways to dispel some of the fears of the future. I think there was a lot of that back then, as there is now. And I think the reassurance that you got from, say, going through the land pavilion and seeing that we could actually grow rice with salt water, we could put oil growing plants in the desert. And, and then at one point they had, I think it's over in the space restaurant now, but cabbages growing in outer space, you know? So I think when you come out of that, it wasn't that you had to learn lessons but you came away from it being inspired by the fact that so much is being done that you went home with a family going home, went back thinking it isn't as bleak as what we read on the news and now see many years later on the internet day in and out. I think that is one of our purposes here is to show the international perspective and world showcase and then technologically what is actually happening that can be a good thing for uh, tomorrow. Mm. That celebrating the possibility of tomorrow. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. And I think too that exactly what you said, Tony, really plays into when we think about Journey of Water inspired by Moana. We're not telling a book report of the film. We're helping people understand the beautiful, playful properties of water so that they walk away with a renewed respect, a relationship with water and the story of the importance of conservation. Uh, and sustainability, which really plays to what you just said about the land and the sea pavilion. You want to build a relationship with our planet 
to protect it, to preserve it, to really build those relationships in order to help humanity, but also to preserve our natural resources. So it's that same kind of thinking. And that's that's really what inspired us to bring on uh, the journey of water to this park to really play off of those relationships with our natural environment. And that's part of the world nature neighborhood now that we've recently designated. Mm. Well, that fits uh, with something that Walt inspired me by. He was very conscious of not being highly educated. And therefore, the whole idea of actually considering him as uh, someone who was an educator scared him. So he would often say in terms of the nature films and the things that they did that were quasi informative, he said, we're not educators. Our business is to stimulate awareness through entertainment. And if we've done our job well, the young people are going to go home excited about things that they saw us doing and learn further and take that lesson to a higher place. And I think that has always been what's happened here. I mean, Every time I come down here, last night was no exception. We were out there for an Epcot celebration and people come up to me and they tell me about how their lives were changed about the things they saw here. And not just the stories we told, but how we told them to see things done in the media that we do is unique almost anywhere in the world. And people have gone on to be engineers, writers, you know, architects. And a whole range, they've been married, incorporating our characters, you know, figment and so forth, that they're married. Mm-hmm. So I had that last night, believe it or not. And so the effect we have on people, both emotionally, as Walt said, to stimulate that awareness, and then also in all the minds that pick us apart and go into the fine details looking for careers and things that they can do to take those talents that we have in the park further. So I'm sure within 10 years, the people that are visiting here now will be producing things that make the capabilities of what we do as the Disney company even stronger mm. with the things they've been inspired and, and, and had their interest stimulated here. And then they go on to careers that, you know, take this on to the next step. You know, we, we talk a lot about the magic of possibility, and that's exactly what that is. You, you see things and you're inspired by them. And then where you, can you go? with yeah. your interests and your passions and what's important to you in, in, in the world. And I think that ability to inspire mm-hmm. aspirational thinking, I think is is still rooted very much in, in the Epcot of today, as much as it was 40 years ago when I'm open. I don't think it goes away. It's sort of like when we did the story of imagination, we realized in that uh, first version, imagination is something we all possess. There aren't people that are told sometimes by their parents that they're not imaginative. That's not true. You couldn't live as a human being without imagination. And so we really celebrated that. When I think about my informative teenage years when Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln opened at Disneyland and uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, I knew right then that I had found something that I didn't know how I was going to get into it because it was a very high-reaching goal to work for the Disney company creatively. But I managed to persevere and push myself into that because I was so moved and so motivated by those attractions that were done by my predecessors. So I think part of the challenge each time we reinvent is to leave that legacy of things that the next generation will absolutely grab onto and almost like a relay race, take the baton to the next you know, racer. Mm. And Tony, on our special 
D23 Inside Disney celebrates Epcot 40, available now on D23.com. <laughs> you briefly walked us through the original conception of the seas, the land, and imagination, yeah. and how they all sort of tied together. Can you regale us with that tale again here for the audio version of the pod? Well, let's pick up on what we were just talking about, because yeah. you know it, it's an evolutionary thing that, in that case, was all behind the scenes. We started at the seas, and I've always felt that people identify, especially with Disney characters. And so putting Triton in the seas pavilion, which I initially wanted to do, he was going to literally part the sea. And I thought of, you know, good old Charlton Heston up there opening the Red Sea. And I thought if you were sitting in a seat and the stage in front of you parted the real water and everybody marched out into an attraction, that would blow people away. Well, that didn't get to the finish line. But I never leave things behind. So we moved over to the land and we realized once again, we need some kind of a character to get us into that. And we said, the story we're going to all face is one of ecology. We we're working with the University of Arizona and they were very much into creating biomes and reproducing nature in controlled environments, which we did take to the finish line in this case. But initially we had a little character called the land keeper who was in charge of keeping the land safe and giving us the rules by which nature works. That character kind of didn't make the finish line. So I moved on over to Journey into Imagination. And I thought, I really like that little guy, but he needs a, a counterpart. So his name came up really, the first character we changed from Landkeeper to Dreamfinder. So instead of keeping the land safe, he's now finding dreams. That was easy. But we could not figure what the counterpoint to that, which is childhood, and the unbridled enthusiasm for everything that's new. And that's actually a line in what the Sherman brothers wrote as our song, One Little Spark. And the character, Figment, came to life in one of the oddest places. I was watching Magnum P.I. And Magnum <laughs> had a goat hidden in the garden. And the old butler said, it's eating all the foliage, the grass is ruined. And Magnum is saying, oh, calm down, Higgins, oh, calm down. And, and, he, and Higgins held up a plant that had been eaten and goes, Figments don't eat grass. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, out of this, watching this TV episode, and I could hardly wait to come in the next day. And I put the little model we had of Figment on the table and I said, meet Figment. And everyone in the team said, how do we not think about that? It seems so obvious now. Google that word and then search images. Every single one will be the purple dragon. But it was a readily available, you know, um, you know blank space that everyone in the English speaking world knew it, the word, but they didn't know what one looked like. So it was ready to be claimed. It almost had a sign on it that says, pick me. And it, it, it made perfect sense. So he's become not just part of the imagination pavilion, he's sort of the inspiration and the mascot for the entire Epcot project. And he gets celebrated for the you know art festivals and everything else that's done down here. So that's very exciting to me to see something that, happened on a magnum pi episode <laughs> you know be embraced by first our teams and then finally by the entire public that comes here that is fantastic and jody can you tell us about your first time visiting epcot and what struck you the most hmm. i grew up here in california so i didn't grow up going to our, our parks in florida the first time I went to Epcot, I actually was an adult. And at the time, I had my uh, young daughter with me. And it was interesting. My takeaway was 
it was a fascinating place, but at the time it didn't feel like there was a lot to do for, she was about three years old at the time. And, and that kind of stuck with me. And uh, I know today the park has evolved. I started working on this project probably about four years ago, and I've been countless times since and have just grown to deeply love this park because it's so different than our other parks. I grew up going to Disneyland down here and it's so different and it's so inspirational and aspirational and it it challenges you to think differently about a theme park experience. I know it's sort of bore the weight of being educational at, at some time, but it's really beyond that. It's inspirational and it's aspirational. And I think, you know, I've talked to so many people down there that I've come to know and Epcot has been, you know, they grew up going there to the parks and Epcot was always their favorite just because it was so unique in that spectrum of theme parks, you know, as, as part of Walt Disney World. So I just find it, it's fun, it's interesting, it's inspirational. There's, you know, walking around World Showcase, there's just a certain, you know, sort of conviviality there that, you know, you don't see at the other parks. It's through a different lens. And I think that's why I really, I love Epcot, just because it just has such a unique, a unique personality and a unique place in our parks. Tony, we know you've been asked many of these questions before, but is there one thing that you have not been asked before about Epcot that you've always wanted to share either from your work or from your own personal experience? Well, I think what Jody just said, so much of it is different from other theme parks. And I would say in particular about the World Showcase that one thing, again, I, I go back to things I you know cherish that Walt said that kind of guided me into my career he was being criticized by, I think it was Cinderella, the movie. And they said, why would the, the splash of new modern animation, like, you know, the UPA and then later the Flintstones and all that, that was really jerky and kind of hip and clever. Why are you lavishing the attention on all these backgrounds so that it looks so realistic when it's a cartoon? You can do anything. And Walt said, very simply, if you didn't believe in the world that Cinderella lived in, when it comes time for the emotion and the magic to take effect, you're not going to believe in that either. And I think when you walk around the world showcase and the conviviality that you were talking about, especially during wine and yeah. food festival. <laughs> Even more so then. I mean, literally, it's like the way a movie is cut, a travelogue and a movie, you know, flip. And instead of a three-hour plane flight to the next country, everything, the music, the authenticity, the art galleries, the sales staff that many of them are from the native countries that they represent just hearing the different languages there's never been anything like that on the planet and i think you could have dialed back a lot and made those more interpretive or abstract you know like the front of small world where there's all the different nations represented in kind of a playful way but you would not have believed you were experiencing all these cultures well we, we talk a lot about epcot being a celebration of our world and, and its promise. And it is that. It's as much about that in, in World Showcase, literally celebrating the world. And then, you know, formerly known as Future World, the front of the park, celebrating, again, the promise of innovation and, and, and creativity. Mm -hmm. So it really still continues to live up to its original vision. 
Mm-hmm. Jody, to that point, you and I spoke on our Inside Disney Celebrates Epcot 40 special available on d23.com about the Walt the Dreamer statue. And we've talked a lot on the show about many of the new exciting things coming to the park, Journey of Water Inspired by Moana, as you noted, and of course, the recently opened Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind. Can you talk holistically, you, you just touched on it a little, about this reimagining and why the new neighborhoods felt organic and important? Well, I think for one, giving this stronger sense of identity, because Epcot is such a huge park and you, you could walk in and not quite know how, how to navigate it unless you'd been there and then you know exactly where you want to go, which we all do at our favorite theme parks, but wanting to give it uh, a sense of identity. So breaking it up into four neighborhoods with World Showcase, which has always been there. And then the center of what was Future World now is World Celebration. On the east side, we think about world discovery, and then on the west side, world nature. And all of the stories that take place and all the experiences that take place really do so under the auspices of of that identity. So I think as well, giving our guests, you know, letting them have this, this sort of emotional connection to the park when they walk in right away. So softening some of the big facades that were there, we stripped away a lot of the gack that was on there. Um, If you look at creations and connections, really cleaned up those facades and celebrating really the beauty of that architecture Mm -hmm. and then recreating a similar building with our Communicore Hall. And then we've got Journey of Water inspired by Moana there on the west side as part of world nature. So just giving stronger, a stronger sense of identity to these different places because they are so big. So I think that was part of the vision as well, but also you know, we found a quote from Walt and, and Tony, you may be well aware of this as well, where he said Epcot should always be in a state of becoming. Mm-hmm. So we kind of took that, that enabled us to lean into this idea of this ever evolving Epcot that keeps up with the world because the world changes, you know, on a dime. There's the core human values that we celebrate, but we also want to keep up with the world in terms of how it's changing as well and wanting to always celebrate, you know, the humanity of all of us and the connections that bring us together. So I think that's still part of the core belief about Epcot and really wanting to honor Walt's vision about that. And that's where we came up with Walt the Dreamer positioned there now on what will be Dreamer's point. It's Walt the legend, but it's also Walt the everyman, Walt the dreamer, that we want him to inspire all of us to dream, to literally sit down with him and look out, you know, on the vastness of Epcot, the vastness of the world and and dream of a better tomorrow. And so it's always meant to be inspirational. And we really wanted to have Walt part of that story and part of that narrative to dream with us and to inspire us. Hmm. So at D23 Expo, Friend of the pod, Josh Damaro, revealed that guests will be able to meet Figment once again later next year. Tony, can you tell us how you felt when you heard the news? I was so excited when I heard that because I realized that people are willing to spend five hours waiting in line for a Figment popcorn bucket. How excited <laughs> are they going to be to get to actually meet him once again? I it is, it is phenomenal to see that, Tony, especially during the Festival of the Arts when there's a lot of figment presence all around. It is wild to see that. Well, there's something that he captured. It's a childhood thing that if mm-hmm. adults have let that phase of their life be kind of beaten out of them by education that says it's not right to be, you know, outward thinking and crazy thinking and all that. And by the time you get your degree, 
you're no longer that little kid. The movie Big inspired me so much where Tom Hanks was 12 years old mm. in an adult body. And in a way, that's figment. And so I think when I look at people that really enjoyed what we were saying in there, that we were all creative, we all gather information from sources like Epcot, and we combine it with thoughts we have from our own learning and create brand new things. That's a universal given, no matter who we are. And everybody that got excited about that and that anyone can do it, if Figment can do it, I can do it. They're the ones who are keeping that Figment flame alive and uh, because it struck a chord. And if you got married with Figment, those people know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> they felt he was that important to their lives to um, bring him to a new phase of their, you know, their, their living. So, yeah, I think it's a real important thing and we really need to get into the psyche of figment because mm -hmm. he's something that lives in all of us and we should encourage it because it sort of defeats the negative things that pile up in our lives as we grow past childhood. I would love nothing better than to hear that they're bringing the dream finder back too at the same time. But what you just said, Jody, it kicked a thought in my mind. You said it's dreamers point. We probably have the greatest dreamer of all time as our corporate uh, entity head in Walt Disney. Wouldn't it be neat to have Figment and Walt mm. together as a partnership in something? Mm. Do you each have a favorite hidden detail that guests can find when they're walking around Epcot? Hmm. There's a restroom next to Journey into Imagination on the side. And we were late. We didn't open until December for part of it. And then all the way to March of 83, when the ride finally opened. And so that restroom was acquired as, you know, our WDI Central after the park opened and all the way till March of the next year. And I just remember going into the restroom and uh, the, I had the boardroom all laid out and we had a projection in there to check how far <laughs> the show was coming along. And so I can't go into that restroom anymore without having certain memories of Epcot come back that nobody will ever know about. But that's where the final stage was laid for that ride in that bathroom. <laughs> I love that story. I think that's great. Well, you know, how much more convenient could it be? And you didn't have any really an excuse to leave the meeting either if uh, <laughs> you're called. <laughs> Jody. One thing I love to do every time I walk around World Showcase, and I try to do that on each of my trips down there, is, is standing in front of the um, Japan Pavilion mm -hmm. on the side of the Tory Gate that's out in Lagoon and looking through that and seeing Spaceship Earth perfectly framed within that, because that building, that sphere is so iconic. And I think it really speaks to the original vision of Epcot, very future forward, that geodesic dome. Who was doing that back then? And it's still, you know, there's a timeless beauty about it. So I love standing there and seeing that and all of its sort of all of its symbolism. I'd add to that, Jody, that the lighting system they've put on it in the last year yeah. absolutely takes it to a new level. And yep. that's mm -hmm. the spirit of what we're going forward with. You know, we're not just sitting there and being satisfied that it is unique structure in the world, but it's now probably the most splendiferous at night. Yes. You can just stand there. I watch people just standing there and watching the patterns mm -hmm. change. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. Totally. We were there for the Princess Marathon and it started so early. So of course it was dark and we were just like, oh my God, it's so beautiful. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah I mean, that well, that is an experience on its own that stands on its own to watch that lighting show yes. each night. It's just stunning. Hats off to our lighting designers for that Truly. one. Truly. 
Truly. And we can't talk about Epcot without talking about the incredible food, both the wonderful restaurants and festivals. Do each of you have a favorite dish that you love to get either from a restaurant or one of the festivals? I have two. Oh, uh, great. I can't come down here without eating in the, is it Michikoshi uh, uh, uh thing upstairs? I mean, mm -hmm. it's literally the plane would land and I'd race to get out here by 830, you know, so I could get that. And then just for relaxation, I think the restaurants in the French Pavilion, because I was over working about five of my years with Disney in Paris. And so to have the three most renowned chefs once involved with that brought mm -hmm. a food palette that was completely authentic to having a dinner in Paris. So those two, then I can relax and say, okay, I'm ready to experience the attractions. But yeah, that's how I start everything. One of those. Ooh. I always loved the the food at the Moroccan Pavilion, but I can also tell you the best lobster roll I've ever had was during the Food and Wine Festival. It was at the American so Adventure, yeah. Yes, at America, it was so <laughs> good, better than even ones I've had back east where they originated. It was so good. Same, same. <clears throat> Tony, I have to ask because I know you went to Space Two Twenty recently. How, yeah. how was that experience for you? It was great. I really enjoyed it. I didn't get a chance to get over and check out Galactic Star cruiser so i can't compare it and i think for you know the reasonable amount of time you're in there a couple of hours it's a really neat adjunct to future world because other than the seas pavilion where you're really underwater you know this is another futuristic thing that um gives us you know another chance to see a world other than the one we live on 24 hours a day mm -hmm. so i really enjoyed that and it reminded me it heralded back to space station x1 one of the opening day attractions at Disneyland where you went up to a satellite and looked out at the earth as interpreted by great mad artist, <laughs> Peter Ellenshaw, mm. who painted the display all around the thing, looking down onto America, you know, in the fifties. Mm. Is there an attraction right now that you love to go on whenever you come to the park? Mm. Oh yeah. More than one. I would think American adventure to me is so inspirational. I had the pleasure to be close friends and work with and carpool with Randy Bright, who was the show producer on that, and also co-wrote the music Golden Dream. And so he had a very tragic accident that ended his life way too early. And so when we get to the end of that show and we go into that piece of music, and it so symbolizes, you know, the way America should be, I think, Golden Dreams. And mm -hmm. uh, I hear it and I just think, good thoughts. And I think about my friendship with Randy and what a hard task it was to end up with a 25 minute show. That's a musical taking us from the dawn of the signing of the declaration all the way up to contemporary times. And he pulled that off and it's still, I think a real achievement. Well, I'll, I'll put a plug in for um, the transformation of Epcot, which is <laughs> the new Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind ride. To me, it's the epitome of fun. There's such a true Epcotian, you know, backstory there with part of the queue in the pre-show that really celebrates Epcot, the legacy of Epcot, and, you know, a lot of fun sort of hidden stories for those that know Epcot and the displays and the exhibits celebrating technology and innovation of the Zendarians. And just the ride itself, it's fun. It's crazy. The music, I mean, I love the fact that we're using, you know, contemporary music in this attraction to really add just a fun energy to the story, the way we use media in there. I mean, I think it's really 
kind of the best of what we do. And I think, honestly, it makes great sense for Epcot. It's the story celebrating innovation and, and technology and, and, and culture of the Zendarians. So I just think it's it's brilliant that we were able to pull that off and deliver this attraction for this whole new generation of guests. It was just it's such a fun, fun experience to ride that. I enjoyed it because I found it that Imagineer Alex Wright, who produced this show, mm -hmm. is an alien. <laughs> He's got oh. a cameo in there. Yeah, it's all it just it. really confirmed what everyone suspected all along. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> is there a World Showcase Pavilion that you each especially love? A favorite? I would go to Japan, I think, um, mm -hmm. as my favorite. I love the country. It's one of my favorite countries to go to. And um, the, as I said, each little you know segue from one pavilion to the next kind of brings you into a different culture. And that one really hits the mark of being in Kyoto or, you know, some of the shrine areas in Tokyo itself. And then the food is just extraordinary. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll echo that. I, I love the Japan Pavilion. Just walking in as you sort of go off the main thoroughfare of, of yeah. World Showcase and you get into it, it's just so immersive and beautiful. And there's a serenity about it. Yeah. As well, mm -hmm. in spite of all the people there, there's a serenity about the different levels and the, you mm -hmm. know, the architecture as much as the landscape and the, and the design itself. So I just, I find it just, there's something about it. I just love to go there and just sit for a little while. A hundred percent. It's so funny you would say that because when we were filming D23 Inside Disney Celebrates Epcot 40 available on D23.com, yeah. the whole crew actually took a break and went up to that sort of terrace next yeah. to the quick serve with the fountains. Yeah. It was, mm -hmm. it's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. I was like, it's like a little hidden treat within yeah. the oh my parks. As oh. well as the British pub. You can't walk around. <laughs> oh yeah. To the British Rose and Crown. Pub. Yeah. Yep. All the way. <laughs> oh, wow. That's wonderful. I grew up in Japan, so I can't wait to check that oh, out. Oh, you this must go. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I cannot believe our time is already at an end. But listen, we end every interview with the last question. What is your favorite Disney memory? That's too. Uh, wow. I think growing up with the TV show and mm. Walt coming on, and being so young, you didn't really understand enough. But here was this wonderful person who came on the air and everything he told me was stuff I was either going to enjoy in the future, like previews of Disneyland or films like Davy Crockett and Old Yeller and the animation. You know, it was black and white back then, but to see Alice in Wonderland and these films on TV, it was Wednesday night. Everyone says Sunday night, but it was Wednesday night when it was called Disneyland. It later became... The world of color and whatnot but on sunday but so every wednesday night you know and when you're seven years old your parents don't want you staying up very late uh, but that was a must see and it, i think it was so formulative because those are the years where you never forget what it was that you know really turned you on and it was walt and being that figure of just everything he said was wonderful you know and things that were going to enhance your life and uh, we need more people that can do that, I think. Absolutely. Jody? For me, actually, I grew up with Disney. My father was a film editor at the studio from before I was born. And I have a twin sister and our birthdays every year. My dad would bring home the latest release or a previous release. We had a 16 millimeter projector and he would bring home the, the film reels. And my mom would always get a cake that was themed to the film. So ah. it would be like 101 Dalmatians or Lady and the Tramp or, you know, Cinderella or what, whatever it was. And so every year 
we had the uh, the best party on the block because we had the movie and we had the cake. And so that was, I mean, it was just, it's been a part of my life for as long, literally as, as long as I can remember. So I go way back with Disney <laughs> stories. Oh, I love that. Yes. I do too. Both of those stories. I- that was great. Tony, Jody, thank you both so much for taking the time to to chat with us, to celebrate Epcot, to celebrate Disney. It is wonderful to see you both. Thank you for being a part of our special. Thank you. Just thanks for everything. And uh, we look forward to seeing you both soon. Bye. Thank you. Well, thank you. This was awesome. Our pleasure. Thanks for hanging with us. <laughs> uh, that was so good. Amazing. Love them. Totally. I mean, again, it's so important for us to be talking about preservation of the earth and the fact that Epcot is there for us to actually, you know, broach those conversations. It's really cool. Yes. So before we go, Sherry, a mermaid mini on Instagram asked us our favorite part of filming. Oh. And that's oof, hard for me. There was so much. Was there one that you jumps to mind for you? Favorite part of filming. Well, this probably doesn't come as a surprise, but I think my favorite part of filming any of our specials is when we get to eat. Yes, I feel fair. like I instantly lose awareness of the camera and I'm like, here I go putting the biggest bite of steak into my mouth because this is so good. <laughs> then I watch the playback. I'm like, mm, I should take a smaller bite next time. <laughs> but I enjoyed it. It was very tasty. I love our food tastings. All Agree. of them. How about Agree. you? I love the food tastings. I also loved being there in the American Adventure in the atrium when the Voices of Liberty sang. Their voices are just so rich and beautiful that was a great experience for me so thank you for the question we also got a question from red nose jeremy who i think we both know (laughs) all know yeah he he asked a lot of questions about chicken tenders and (laughs) my deep devotion to them there were lots of thoughts i don't think we're gonna have time to to get into the epic love that i have for (laughs) the disney cruise line chicken tenders but perhaps we should just do an episode dedicated to that we should we should but in the meantime on another ship (laughs) sorry i am all for another ship we could do one on every ship i think we should do a taste test Ooh, there we go someone's got to do it But in the meantime, thanks again for listening to D23 Inside Disney. Don't forget to like and share this episode wherever you listen or subscribe. And if you want to chat with us, just hashtag D23 Inside Disney. And for all the latest Disney info, check out D23.com. We'll be back next week with more Disney news and a fantastic guest on an all new episode of D23 Inside Inside Disney. Disney.